Daniel Lim reads through the resumes of students trying to get into college with the excited patter of a color commentator at an NFL game. This valedictorian with a near-perfect SAT score got rejected from every single top university that he applied to. Let's take a look at his application and see what happened. On his popular TikTok channel, this Duke University senior highlights the seemingly endless number of ultra-achieving students who somehow fail to land acceptance at a select college, or more often, who win some bids and lose others. It turns out the anonymous student Lim is describing in this video said he was valedictorian of his class of 300 kids, had an SAT score of 1570, won trophies in state and regional championships for gymnastics, had experience in concert band since fourth grade, and was a member of honor societies. Here were the universities that he applied to. On the screen, Lim is pointing to a list that includes Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, MIT, Columbia, Yale, Cornell, Duke, Carnegie Mellon, the University of Michigan, University of Maryland, and Penn State. Then comes the reveal. Which colleges did this ultra-qualified student get accepted to? As for his results, he was rejected from UMich, CMU, and had a conditional acceptance to UMD, but was rejected everywhere else. Lim has more than 200,000 followers on TikTok, and he says that nearly 2,000 high school students have sent him their college applications, along with the list of colleges they applied to and what happened with their attempts. And they send them to Lim so he will share them and riff on them in his videos. This is part of a genre of social media that's trying to make sense of who gets into which selective colleges and why. At a time when landing a yes from one of these schools is harder than ever. Lim and many of the students who write in are left wondering why some yeses and why some noes. In the example we just played, the student wonders if maybe he rushed his essay. He says here, let me serve as an example to people whose parents and guidance counselors told them that a high GPA and a test scores are enough to get in anywhere. Do not write your essays the week of and make sure you get involved with things related to your intended major if you have access at your school. Hi, and welcome to the Ed Surge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and an editor here at Ed Surge. We're a national nonprofit newsroom covering education at all levels. Statistics show it really is harder to get into selective colleges these days. If you look at the top 100 universities and the top 50 liberal arts colleges, the median SAT score that it takes to get in has risen significantly since about 35 years ago. College counselors often emphasize that the whole college search process should be about finding the best fit, and the fact is that most colleges in the United States, especially community colleges, they'll admit most any student who applies. Even so, many students and families believe that selective colleges are the ticket to the most opportunity. And at a time of rising college costs, many students are looking to get into flagship state universities that offer the same kind of high-quality education at a fraction of the cost of a private one. Or some students hope to land at an Ivy League school that might have a big endowment and therefore can afford a more generous financial aid package than some other college. So the process has high stakes. And yet the whole thing can kind of seem like a game. And the rules of that game just seem to keep changing. For instance, the pandemic led more colleges to make SAT scores optional, which puts more emphasis on what is called holistic reviews of candidates. And admissions folks say there is widespread misperception 
about how that process works. And this summer, a landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling struck down the consideration of race in college admissions. And that has thrown even more uncertainty into this process, as even colleges themselves are trying to quickly change their process to comply with the law. So students are turning to TikTok and other social media platforms to fill this information void. And they're just looking for any sign of whether they have a shot of landing a spot in a selective college. For this week's Ed Surge podcast, I talked with Lim about what he has learned from seeing all these college applications and about the reactions that he's gotten to his videos. And I also connected with a former admissions officer at a highly selective college from Princeton to get a better understanding of this whole process and how he views this social media trend. I started by asking Daniel Lim what he thinks students get out of his videos on TikTok. I think the main sort of interesting thing with it is the applications themselves. And so a lot of students have come to me and said, hey, listen, I was completely unsure about where my application stood, what to expect. And I think I have a better understanding of what to um, do, um, how to gauge my expectations for the admissions process. And with some of the things that you've mentioned, it's given me inspiration for my application as well. And I think that's, that's definitely the coolest part. I think the other thing is admissions is typically a very anxiety invoking and very dry process. And so I knew that there was an opportunity to make it fun and to make it exciting. And so I kind of took the opportunity to bring excitement and a fun way to look at things in an otherwise, you know, boring and, and uh, anxious process. And so I think that's, those are the two things that I think are, are most valuable with my content. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems kind of playful. How would you, what words would you use to describe your like approach? I would like to think that it's inspiring, but also entertaining and also at the same time, educational. I would hope that it's all three. I know that at times it can, you know, I, I am aware that some students can feel discouraged by the some of the insane applications that I that I post, but I tried to insane post meaning insane meaning a very qualified student who gets rejected. Is that what you mean? Very very qualified. Yes, yes. Um, which typically are the applications that go viral, right? And so it's unfortunate the way it works, but those are the videos. If you don't, if you're not a longtime follower and um, a viewer of my videos, then those are the ones you end up seeing. And so it's, it's a bit tough, but definitely trying to round, round out my the applications that I feature with more average ones and ones that, you know, do well, but aren't, you know, um, incredible, incredible applications. Uh, just trying to give viewers a more accurate sense of what the admissions process is like. Um, and so I would say those three words are the main things that I hope my content is. Yeah. And I, I want to get back to a couple of those things. Super interesting. One of the things that I was struck by is that you're not, I mean, you are a Duke. That's a, a very hard to get into school, like total congrats. Um, and, but it's not only the most highly selective that you're talking about, right? It's, it's like, it seems like there's, it's, you're interested in the, the, the people who follow you are interested in kind of any selective university, right? They're not all getting into Duke or even trying to, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Um, the, 
what I've realized with my content is that, you know, a lot of students are simply anxious about just that transitory period itself, where going to college in and of itself is a very anxiety invoking process and trying to decide where to spend the next four years. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, the top elite schools, right? And so um, it's it's something that I've realized recently, which I wish that I had realized earlier, but definitely trying to give a more holistic view of what is out there, what kind of opportunities people have in terms of their education um, and what they can pursue and how that translates into, uh, you know, post-college. Earlier this year, The New Yorker magazine published a story that quoted Daniel Lim and focused on the way social media is just adding to college stress these days. The story was headlined, The Particular Misery of College Admissions TikTok. It suggested that this TikToker and others were part of the problem of causing all this stress, though it also blamed the whole college admissions process for being what it called seemingly arbitrary but I wondered what Daniel thought of that article's argument. I don't necessarily think that not being exposed at all to that type of content is going to help you out in any way as a student. I think it is still helpful to know that these sort of things happen um, and to simply just embrace the reality behind it. But I absolutely do understand his point, which is kind of the reason why I have this idea for a book where. I, you know, aggregate a decent number of college applications that I've seen throughout, right? Um, that, you know, sort of encompass all scales. So not only just the insane ones that tend to go viral, but a more holistic viewpoint of here's this type of application, here's this type of application. And, you know, helping students understand that it really is a, a vague process. And I think it really is just a symptom of how vague the admissions process is. It's the, it's the fact that half of the people think that with a decent SAT score and being in the top of your class means that, you know, you'll get a ticket to Harvard. And then the other half think that you need to be, you know, a Nobel Prize winner in order to get in. It's like, none of those people are right. It's somewhere in the middle, but it's hard to really explain that to people uh, in a way where they understand and they don't, get swept up in the, in the extreme sides of it, uh, which, you know, my content is, you know, guilty of to a degree. Um, and so I think the article, it, it makes sense, but, um, I think it's, it's more of a commentary of the, of the symptoms and not really the true problem, which I hope to, to address, um, and, you know, find a solution to. You know, it's interesting. I, I would be very interested in this book or analysis of all the apps. I mean, how many apps have you received by now from, from your readers or viewers? Uh, I have, I think somewhere in the couple thousand. And do you, could you very quickly give us a preview? Like what are some of the types that are, that might not go viral, but that, that you see? So the majority of the applicants that get into, say, a top 20 university or an Ivy League university are hardworking students that have shown self-awareness and maturity that have great scores. They don't have to be a perfect SAT, 
You know, you can have just a good SAT score. It still has to be good, right? Still has to be very much above average because these schools are looking for above average students, good GPA, a good set of extracurriculars, but they aren't the insane applications that you see, right? They aren't the two-time best-selling New York Times winning authors. They aren't the you know, international math competition winners, those students, of course, they get in to great universities. And sometimes they don't even, right? But the majority of students are just good, hardworking students. Myself, for example, I didn't have anything crazy relative to these incredible applicants, right? I did research, you know, via cold calling. I was also, I was also very lucky to live by New York City, which gave me access to anger. And of course, there's a lot of you know other factors. Um, I did some shadowing with a doctor. I volunteered at a hospital and you know did all these things. And um, just the, the main reason why I got accepted into Duke, according to my admissions officer, was I was also very interested in philosophy and sociology um, in high school. Still am. And so tying those two concepts together, looking at medicine from a sociological perspective, was what caught my admissions officer's eye. Um, and so it, it's really just a matter of how can you, how well do you know yourself and how well can you, you know, portray your self-awareness, maturity, and um, just, you know, strong work ethic to the top universities. And that's the majority of students, right? Um, and it's, it's hard to explain that. You know, I guess how many of the applicant cases do you have where, people are like really just really trying to get into not the top 20, but they're still worried about getting into because of cost. Right. I mean, if I were a student right now, I would be very hopeful to get into like a, you know, honors college at the, or maybe just into the university in my state, the big flagship that is going to give you a great experience for a pretty, for an in-state tuition cost. Whereas if you don't get in there, then it seems like your options are a lot less. So I don't know, like, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of costs, the top universities do a very good job for the most part of giving great aid, uh, which is a very big benefit. Um, But yes, to your point, there are a lot of students that DM me and say, hey, listen, I I just want to get into my state school. I just want to, you know, make sure that I can get in and you know, make sure that I'm able to pay for it. And, you know, there's a lot of talk of, you know, how do I make sure that I, that I deal with the financial side and get the right financial aid, uh, which, which is, you know, absolutely important, right? It's, it's a big um, decision uh, to make. Um, and what's great about, you know, being a good student, which, which, you know, is, is something that everyone should strive to do. I think, of course, education is, absolutely key uh, to self-development um you know if you are a good student then some of the universities that aren't elite right uh will of course you know see merit in having you at the university um and so they will offer you great packages um to try to get you to come to their school and in a lot of cases these deals are great right so you know even even schools here in sf like usf or um school of the south like san diego state right they'll offer great packages for students um and some of these students you know they are qualified to get into 
um, an Ivy League, right? But the Chiefs go to these universities because they offer, you know, a full ride with excellent honors, um, merit packages, et cetera. Um, and so in any case, I think, you know, every student should strive to be the best student that they can and they will get opportunities um, to get an education um, at a cost that's right for them. So that is a student perspective. But I wanted to make sure I talked to someone who understood the selective college admissions process from the inside. So I found a former admissions official from Princeton. Regular listeners may remember that that's the school I went to. I did a whole episode a while back on my quest as a student in high school to try to land a spot at that place. The former official at Princeton that I spoke with is Nathan Mathbane. He worked for Princeton as an admissions official and assistant dean of admissions from 2015 to 2022. These days, he is associate director of college counseling at Woodside Priory School in California. Nathan says he was not familiar with Daniel Lim's TikToks, but he pointed me to something similar on the Reddit discussion community, a subreddit called Chance Me. Okay, Chance Me. Ooh, all right. Yeah. So it's a subreddit where you dump all of your major data. Yes. And people on the it. internet will basically just like, I don't know, just go in on the comments and do what it sounds like this guy at Duke is doing. I guess. So let's start with Chance Me then, if that's something you know about. I, like, like, I just heard about it. It sounds horrible to me. I do not spend any time on these things. I think they yeah. sound inherently bad. To, to me, um, but walk us through why it has you have that reaction to even the idea, right? Sure. I think that people on the outside of admission offices are are don't realize how contextual every single file that is read, at least at these offices that employ holistic admission reviews are um, where you can look at the numbers for two different files and they're going to be and they're both going to end up being admits and they could be wildly different for other things that are going on in the application. So when you look at aggregated statistics, it's it's almost pointless to look at things like admit rate. A, lo- a lot of people think if a school has a 5% admit rate, they have a 1 in 20 chance of getting in, right? Which is which is not what it is, right? Some students will have like an 80 or 90% chance of getting in and many students will have a 0% chance of getting in. You know, so it's it's very interesting the way that people, as they're throwing their applications in, conceive of the process for mm. me. Like I talk with students all the time that are like, oh, like I want to apply to 20 different schools because if they all have 5% admit rates, that means I should get into at least one, right? <laughs> like this is a logic that is held and, and so that's not true because they don't meet the qualifications of to get into this type of school. Exactly. Exactly. So um, people love looking at numbers and drawing all kinds of conclusions from those numbers that might be erroneous because they have not actually been reading applications, if that makes sense. So that's, I think, a major takeaway is is is. People ask a lot of bad questions to admission officers, to admission offices around, oh, there's X percent more likely to get in if I apply early decision or, you know, they, they, they get too fixated on the numbers and they don't realize that these are all holistic reads and there's a lot of context and nuance 
to each decision. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess I do understand from the student and parent perspective a desire to have an odds, a sense, a, like a, a a percentage, and uh, instead of just saying it's nuanced. <laughs> I guess I guess so. I think these. I agree. I think these things pop up in unofficial channels like anonymous parts of the internet, like Reddit or some viral TikTok, you know, um, out there, and so. You're not fine. I think, though, people seem to be going to these places. So that seems to signal a desire that, or a sense that there's a gap in the, in, in the information that's official. Uh, of course, definitely. And people have more information than ever at their fingertips, which I think is part of what fuels kind of the, the, the fervor around these things is maybe if you applied to like Penn in 1980, you got a rejection letter. You might not even have known how many people applied. You might not even know. All is, I rejected, moving on with my life, right? Whereas now you can see how many people applied, how many people got in. Like, there's just so much more information that is offered by the colleges that I think it's a lot easier to get into a into a fervor in a way that you might not have in a pre-internet age. But it turns it into like, I feel like there's an analogy to sports here, right? With right now, there's all these fantasy leagues and sports betting. And, and there's a sense of like, people are consuming a lot of, of like odds, <laughs> chancy kind of talk and, and looking at numbers and trying to figure it out. And so it maybe only makes sense that someone's trying to gamify this process here and in the way you talk about it. I think the gamification thing is definitely something I've been noticing. I think gamify is definitely a word that springs to mind for, for certain, certain kids. I'm sorry. What do you do with a student like that? If you encounter them at your school? Oh, it's really hard. It's really hard. Cause, and I talk about this with my colleagues sometime, not here, but like in the field is is because of how like nuts college admission is right now it's almost hard to dissuade them from applying to x y or z selective number of schools because like it is kind of a numbers game at a certain point you know like 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 a little bit um it's hard you know it's hard for me to see i haven't seen many many years on the side of of the desk yet but I can't really argue with a kid when they say, like, what's the harm in my applying? It's another chance at the roulette wheel if I'm willing to pay the application fee, right? To a place that you to a place that your gut tells you that they're that they're not up to the standard that that college is gonna have. Exactly. From from them, their point of view is like, well, what's like what's in it for like why not? Well, like to you, like, like, and I can't, I don't, I mean, for me, it's so much harder to get into like stress and workload and like the mental harm of rejection is hard to like quantify or articulate to a 17 year old when they're on this side of the process. Um, so, so it's just hard to communicate that getting no's is not a fun feeling and it's not a fun feeling that like for some students, they can shrug it off. For some students, it's going to be a big deal. And you don't know who those students are until December and until March. Yeah. So, so yeah. Because right now is the time people are putting together some lists, right? If you're a, a senior in high school. 
tell, tell, where are we in the process? Like, what does it you remind us for those who don't follow so, it? Then? For those who are unfamiliar, um, it's actually a lot sooner that lists are put together than you might think. So um, some schools have early action deadlines next of this coming Sunday. Um, wow. UNC is on here we are list. in October, early October. Yeah. yeah. We've been in school for quarter at one end soon. So we've been in school for maybe eight or nine or 10 weeks, you know. School kind of just started and and we're approaching the earliest deadlines. Yeah. So um, October 15th is a small deadline and then early action deadlines hit on November 1st. So obviously those schools need to be on your list and worked on and done in the next couple of weeks. So I think this is, we call this Sucktober. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that as a term. It's very much parlance in college counseling that October is the worst month of the year because it's where the most work needs to get done for college apps. Which students are just starting their school year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think back when I was applying, um, December was the big month for a lot of people. December was a big like work month because a lot of January 1st deadlines. But I think it's moved up a little bit, I think, in the, pa- in the past 10, 15 years that, that a lot yeah. of work, especially in the more resourced, more proactive enclaves of America. October and September are really the the time that a lot of the work's being done. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I think is, is worth noting is that, yes, there are the, the most selective colleges, um, like the Princetons and the, you know, kind of um, very hard to get into, like Stanford and MIT, that kind of thing. But it feels like there are also people for whom, you know, getting into the state school or something that's not as like statistically difficult is, is going to be, is going to feel even more like do or die, so to speak, because them being able to get to a college access to a college, it it may feel like it's on the line. Um, No matter what, you know, like, I I guess to me, it feels like some of these things I'm seeing, I haven't read through this Reddit channel as, as much clearly, but some of the things I'm seeing are not just for the elite schools, but are even for, for getting into a school that is going to have enough money for them or that they can, that's really good and they can get financial aid for. Do you, do you think that's like, how, it's, so it's, it's not just some sort of like the most resourced, right? In this game of like really trying to get in. Oh, absolutely. And it's a different ball game wherever you go. Um, California, where I work is a very different state from most states in this regard. Um, there's not really, there's, there's not really a lot of safety in the, in the UC system, you know, in a way that that you might think of when you think of a state school, it's a state school, it's a possible, it's a safety school. No, the UCs are brutally competitive to get into. Um, and we can talk about the Cal State University system. We're a little different insofar as California is such a big state and has so many universities that we have CSU options, but the UCs are as competitive to get into as many of the colleges that you just named from a numerical standpoint. Uh, UCLA last year received 148,000 applications. I believe they received more applications than any other university in America. Full stop. And that might come as a surprise to people. So, So if you're like banking on a positive decision from one of these state schools, it's not the case. University of Michigan, University of North Carolina, these are getting down into very, very slim admit rates. And these are kind of the flagship institutions of their home state. And of course, there are many other 
colleges you can go to um, that exist in these states that that are picking up that new kind of wave of of students who don't get in. But it is, yeah, it's not just the Ivy Plus group. There's a lot of selectivity all and up and down the top 100 schools in, in the U.S. right now. It's such strange to me too, right? Because there are, there are enrollments overall nationwide falling. There are some private colleges closing because they can't get enough students. But these are, and they're not, it's hard to rec- rectify these differences. And even community colleges, which are which are very affordable and obviously can do great things, like, but they're not getting the kind of admissions attempts. People aren't flocking to them in the same way as these top 100. Totally. Yeah. And that's something that you're probably more familiar with than, than me, because my wheelhouse has always been selective college admissions, striving, aspiration, name brand has been my whole professional life. But when I look at tuition bills and I look at outcomes, especially for students that go two to four community college for two years and then transfer in their overall amount of money that they paid for their higher education, when they walk away with the same degree from whatever school, they paid a fraction of, of what some students have paid. So I don't know. There's just such a stigma against community college for for whatever reason. Um, I don't know how far that extends beyond either teacher private school here in California. So I don't know. I haven't worked in public schools, but I do get a sense. I went to a public school in Oregon and community college was not a first choice for, for most students in my cohort. Um, and I, I think that's really unfair to, to what community colleges have to offer. It turns out that while Nathan worked at Princeton, he got to spend some time recruiting at community colleges. Princeton restarted its transfer program with an aim directly at recruiting from community colleges when I was a second or third year officer and it got to so and spent a lot of time in community colleges and i was like wow like it, the 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 these places are so different than i think media and pop culture like portrays them to be in terms of like the level of like what you can get there you know and the and the caliber of student that's there um i think we have this notion that like how you did in high school over those 4 years should somehow dictate where you can go and what you can do for the rest of your life. And that's completely bogus. Say a little more, like give me a scene at a community colleges you visited while a admissions official at Princeton that made you feel this way. Yeah. I mean, I was at, um, I think this was the college of San Mateo. Um, so close to here when, when I was visiting, I sat down with like a young man, a young woman during my, my visit. And these were students that in terms of their, like, how with it they were, like their ability to answer questions to follow the conversation were like, and like questions for me were on par with any students that I'd met when I was at Princeton and um, like at any of the nice fancy schools that I also visited as part of my travel. Um, And they were just like, yeah, like a little unfocused family life was rough when I was in high school. So I took, you know, some time to, to get through that. I'm now in community college, but like, things changed in my life circumstances. I was able to focus more on school and, and now I'm like totally ready, ready to rock and roll looking at transferring into a four year after I get my associates here. Um, and, um, yeah, just, there's a lot of people who have really impressive life experience in, in the community college system that kids who just went straight at 18 to get their bachelor's degree, they have nothing of that. They have none of that, right? They have none of that worldliness. They have none of that really existing in a community. 
beyond the walls of their high school that these community college students do. So I think anytime we met transfer students when, when at Princeton, they always just seemed like a decade older than the average Princeton undergrad in terms of like just being <laughs> like, I don't even know I want to like just grown up, you know, having a perspective on their education. Like not everybody who was at Princeton had a good perspective on what this degree was going to do for them, you know? And I think every transfer student who is at Princeton is like, yes, this is great. This is wonderful. Like, you know, it's a different kind of level of appreciation, I think. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. So if, so back to the chance me, like what, what do you, you know, like what other advice can you give people that are, you know, that are kind of inundated with this kind of social media messaging these days or vibe? I'm, I think it's super toxic. I, I, I think it's really bad. I don't think there's anything that you're going to get from these sites that is going to improve your college search full stop. And it probably will only stress you out more. Like I would argue Unless you go to one of these sites and it persuades you to remove a highly selected school from your college list, barring that outcome, I I defy you to tell me a good thing that you get from this type of content that actually improve makes you better at applying to college. And mm-hmm. and and if you're able to come back at me with some kind of a yes, this is a positive, I just think it's it's just speculation and it it, it plays on all of our like most base kind of anxieties right so i i i I don't see anything good in this nothing like this existed when i was a kid um but i would be happy i mean i don't know if i would be happy but i i I do defy someone to to offer i mean maybe you can offer what do you what do you think for for someone who's a journalist like you what do you see as the the positive outcome of things like this like would you send your profile as an 18 year old to this guy at duke Oh gosh. No, I mean, I, I, I'm hesitant to take sides. I mean, I, I think I hear you for sure. I mean, his response, Daniel, um, Lim, who runs this TikTok I talked to, I think his idea is it's kind of blowing off steam. It's, it's kind of, um, you know, there's a, a sense that like you're kind of letting yourself have this idea that it's, it's random. So not if you, so be able to accept the no, like make it easier to accept the no, I guess, getting back to something you mentioned. I I think that's his argument. If I understood it correctly of like how it's a, how it's a good thing. Potentially normalizing the rejection. Cause I do, I do to to move on, on, to, to be able to move on because these things, you may get rejected. These places are so hard to get into. I have heard and I do not know where this is practiced. And I would be curious if people in the comments or in like people like who are familiar with this can let me know. I've heard of college counseling offices sometimes asking their seniors to bring in their rejection letters mm. and to put them as they come in and then put them in some kind of a common viewing area. If they're willing to do that, just to get it. So everybody at the school knows how like much of a common experience this is, you know, like, and, and that is something that like, I just don't know if I were a director of college counseling, like if this is something, a practice I would want. I feel like, especially if parents and stuff where if this is a common area, the whole school community is walking past and there's names on things. It seems. But there is, I mean, it does, it gets it. 
Right. I think that's a good example. It's really interesting. And it does get at this, like, obviously many schools of all types I hear in the high school level have this thing where at the end of the year they celebrate sometimes or, or bef- as as these acceptances come in, they celebrate those. And you, I don't hear as much or I've never heard of the idea of like you also acknowledge your rejections as a way of saying like, hey, you know, you don't always get what you're trying for, but you know, it's about trying to find the right fit both ways. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard of it. I've heard of the celebrating the rejections. It's way more like obviously not done very much. Yes. We all like, we all have our college lists and matriculant lists that we publish and show all the parents, like come to our school, look how well our graduates do. That's very much a part of the whole model. You know, I think of, of, of at least um, private education because private education, you don't need to, you don't need to go to private school, right? Like it's different, it's a different, like, like it's part of the marketing of the school, like private yeah. schools need to market themselves a little differently than the school you have to go to if you're just in district. Uh, no, I think it's, I think it's super interesting. Sucktober, as you put it, um, this is a, it's, it's students have a lot going on and even students doing well in the pursuit of knowledge at a school, public or private. Um, and, and now this, it just feels harder and harder to be uh, applying to college. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I, I'm curious now that this is my first cohort of full seniors that go through, I'm curious to talk to them in May, right before they graduate about like how they reflect on this time, the October, November, December period. And like, I want feedback from them. Like, Oh yeah, Mr. Montavani, like this really worked. This really helped me out. Or like, this is completely pointless. Now that I'm looking back on what happened over the past five months, like we did not need to focus as much on this, or I definitely worried too much about that. Yeah. So I think I'll do a lot of exit interviews in this, <laughs> this first year. So with all that context in mind, I wanted to share a bit more from that conversation I had with Daniel Lim, the student at Duke making TikTok videos. What has surprised him most as he's gone through all those applications from aspiring students? I've read at this point a couple thousand applications. I can't imagine what it must feel like for an, for an admissions committee to go through 60,000 at Duke, for example, um, just to see, you know, a similar archetype of application over and over and over again. Um, so that's, that's something that has stood out to me. I guess the other thing that's been interesting is to see what the applications of high profile students look like um and so for example i've gotten college applications of students that come from royalty in the middle east um i've gotten you know applications from students whose parents have you know global corporations and you know are in the top 0.001 percent in income etc uh, I think those have also been very interesting for me to see and sort of, you know, take a take a look at, um, you know, what what the lives of these students are like. Um. <laughs> and there's a pretty big world. How would you describe the world of TikTok people like yourself? There's sorry, doing this kind of topic. How, what would you know? Is it's not just you, right? Right, right. There's there's definitely a number of of uh, people making content. I know there are a number of other content creators that make more advice content, which is like, here's what to do, here's what not to do. And I know that 
a lot of students find them tough to hear um, because of how outlandish their advice can be. I think the, the issue with college admissions advice on TikTok is that if you're trying to balance doing well as a content creator and, and getting the right reach um, to get to that audience, you have to say some outlandish things. And in order to, and if you're going to say outlandish things that come off as advice, it's not going to be taken very well. So for example, I know, you know, write a book using ChatGPT and put that as an extracurricular on your application. That's one of the things that goes around, um, you know, that one of the content creators in the space, um, you know, likes to say, and it's, and it's like, well, I mean, is that really true? Is that really going to help you out? I mean, I, I, I was talking to, um, the former director of admissions at Wharton who was also a content creator as a podcast. Um, and he was like, yeah, well, who's that again? Who's it? What's uh, it? Thomas Khalil. He runs the admittedly podcast. Um, but you know, he was saying that admissions officers can smell that right immediately. Right. And so it's, you know, it's sometimes the advice can be good. Sometimes it can be not so great. Um, so I think it's, it's a tricky line to be in this space where you're creating content that can come off as advice. Um, but also, you know, it's like what, it's like, it's a matter of how viral can you get versus how good, you know, and valuable the content, um, can be for students applying to college. And so it's tricky. As Daniel walks that fine line between entertainment and advice, he sometimes shares some of his own stressful admissions journey. One example is the end of the video that we opened this episode with. A lot of people have the misconception that if you have great grades and a great GPA, you automatically get accepted to one of these type universities. Maybe you're one of those people that thinks those things. Maybe you think the valedictorian with a 1590 SAT score at your school is destined to get into one of these type universities. Harvard probably, right? I was that guy. I was the valedictorian with a 1590 that you got into Duke, but I didn't get into my ED school and it was, it was not the nicest feeling. An ED school, by the way, means that he applied their early decision, making a guarantee that if admitted, he would go there. In other words, he was the valedictorian at his own high school, had a huge SAT score, but he did not end up at his first choice college. But it sounds like he's still thriving. But here's the other thing, right? If you have the ability to get a 1570 SAT score and the diligence to be valedictorian out of your class, then you'll be successful no matter what you do. Just a lesson for you all. This has been the EdSurge Podcast. Every week, we explore how learning is changing. If you like the show, please follow the EdSurge Podcast wherever you listen. And you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at edsurge.com. This episode was put together by me, Jeff Young. You can find me online at jeffyoung.net, Twitter at jryoung, or email me at jeff at edsurge.com. Editing this episode by Rebecca Koenig, and the music is by Komaku. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thank you for listening. <laughs>